Misread is a book podcast where we review books, discuss topics, and provide social commentary on what's happening today. Welcome to another episode of Miss Red Guy. My name is Cassie. I am Jolene. Welcome to another episode. Yes. Yes. Today we are going to be diving into internalized sexism. We're going to talk about, you know, the female body. We're going to talk about tell-all books. What happened when women, you know, start to speak their truth. Is when it they kiss truth? and tell. Yes, when they kiss and tell. <laughs> we can probably start by going over some of the more famous tell-alls. Scandalous. <laughs> you know, tell-alls that, you know, a few of us have probably read or at least heard of if we haven't. Mm-hmm. They've been in the media. So, what, what, what do you got? I think the first one that came out years and years ago, but it, I'm not sure if, if the first tell-all, but I'm pretty sure that it set the bar okay. for the... The kiss and tell genre of books is, um, it's from Pamela DeBars and it's called I'm With the Ben, Confessions of a Groupie. Uh-huh. And the other one that I know you wanted to mention, and I think everybody knows this <laughs> woman, is Karen Stephens' Memoirs of a Video Vixen. Yeah. That, was a, that was a hot book when I was back in high school. Mm-hmm. Everybody read that one. I've never read it. No? No. Yeah, it was huge. I've seen it being... Passed around. Everybody read it. Was it well written? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it no, wasn't. no. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an extremely simple read. Mm-hmm. Like it was just kind of like, okay, whatever. The, the interest is more in the the stories of the people, and I think that in itself kind of says something. Is that the book? I think the reason why it got as popular as it did was because of the men it was associated with and right. really herself. Right. Yeah, because of all well, the rappers. Exactly. And... So people wanted to know about them more than they really cared about what was happening with her. But she talks a lot about her her past and what was going on during that time and where her future has led her now. So how do you feel about tell all books? Are you for it? Against it? So there's like tell all and then there's like kiss and tell kind of a thing that's different like I think women that are speaking their truth because they've you know they've experienced something and they want other women to to learn to learn about it I think it has to do with the place that it comes from you know what I mean I think that if it's coming from a place of awareness and you know you don't want other women to go through that or you're you're telling your truth about maybe sexual harassment that you've experienced I think those books are necessary um I don't know I feel so much about women that just kind of do it for gain because they want to associate themselves with you know, a name or a person or mm-hmm. they're just looking for ways to be in the media or right. to, to gain attention. I don't know. Yeah. I've personally never read a tell-all. No. Um, and I, I, I asked myself, why is that? Yeah, why is that? And I think, um, I, I don't know, I kind of find them, is, is it trivial, the word? Trivial yes. Or, <laughs> I know trivial? what you're trying to say, yeah. I find it trivial. I found those books trivial and Personally, for me, I don't mm-hmm. feel like they edify my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, however, I I am curious about their perspective. 
Right. You know, I it's 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 interesting. It's it's fun to read, right? But I'd rather just read an essay about it or an interview mm-hmm. more so than spend hours of my life reading a book about it. I feel like I would be wasting my time. Times. I just feel like it's not edifying. Okay. But I do I like the nuance you did about tell all versus kiss and tell. Yeah. And the tell all about how a lot of women are speaking their truth to help other women yeah. or to help anyone out there that might that may be going through what they're going through and offering helps and tips on how they were able to survive. So I do make I do I like that nuance and and it it, it is different. It I, is. Yeah. I find I found that when I was reading um Confessions of a Video Vixen by Corinne Steffens, I found that the feeling that I got from the book was almost begging the reader for tolerance for sympathy yeah for sympathy for tolerance that was kind of the feeling that I got from the book Mm -hmm. and then a part of me because again especially with this podcast what I'm trying what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand why I think the way that I think so everything I I say especially with this podcast you're going to hear us kind of going back and forth because I just want to make sure like, I'm aware of where that's coming from. Yeah. So why did I feel like that was her begging me for tolerance? Because why wasn't I tolerant with her telling her story? Right. What is it that bothers me about a woman talking about her sexuality as freely as she was talking about it that made me feel like when I read her book, she's she wants me to be sympathetic as if maybe I shouldn't be. Why shouldn't I be? So I'm trying to have this, this next level of self-awareness because I find that a lot of women, we have internalized sexism. And it happens on a day-to-day basis and how we speak, how we act, how we interact with one another, our relationships with other women, whether they be family, friends, strangers. Mm-hmm. So reading this book this time around was challenging for me. Okay. It was really challenging for me because I had to really think about why do I feel this way about this woman in this book? Mm-hmm. And it, where does that where does that come where is from? it coming from? Yeah. So were you uncomfortable with the fact that she was open about sharing her sex capades? No, I think I was uncomfortable because I was frustrated with hoping that parts of her story would just like she would almost like see the light. Mm-hmm. And it was more like I want to root for you, but you give very little. Right. To feel like I want to root for you. Mm-hmm. So it was frustrating. It's like watching, it was like listening to somebody and just wanting them to win. Wanting, you know, this story, You there's this little bit of light like, ah, right. she, she's going to get it this time. She's going to, and then she she doesn't. And then she falls back into a pattern. And then, you know, and then it was kind of frustrating in that, it was kind of frustrating in that sense. One thing I will say about her that I have to commend her on that woman is a master manifester. Yeah. Anything she has said that she wants, she has good or bad. So <laughs> that was that was, you know, that was kind of a fun part of it, I guess, to read. To see someone literally talk about their childhood and how from childhood everything that they saw, they put in their mind, they wanted, they lusted after, they desired came to them. Wow. But unfortunately, it comes with a price. You know, when you say you were rooting for her, you wanted her to see the light. Is it that, like, what if what if she found her light? 
what if through all of this, all of these experiences, it brought her, it brought her to where she is today, and it was her destiny. That's right. her light. That's her turnover. Um, a lot of times, from the onset, women who write like kiss and tell books don't fit the mold, right? So from the onset, the way that their lives are going to turn out is not going to be like a normal life, in my opinion. Uh-huh. So I. When I look at what she's doing now, um, she's very into like the a healthy diet and giving consultation about things like that. She, she's about this whole having a good lifestyle type of thing, type of vibe. Um, and she never, she, she, she always says that she doesn't regret her lifestyle. She uh-huh. has no regrets. She wouldn't change a thing in the world because it brought her where she is today. Yeah, she mentioned that. So I think maybe she did find a light. It's just that it's not the common one we're used to or the one that we would want for ourselves. Right. And I think that's, that was like what you're saying. That's another thing. It's like she needed to go through everything she went through. And a lot of what she went through was very traumatic. Um, I found that in the book, there were times though, where it's like, there was a lot of excuse for behavior. Okay. Opposed to, just like how you can say now you don't regret any of it because you needed it to get to where you are, which I can commend. In those moments, own that too, though. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I own it. And that's and that's okay. Like, that's fine. Yeah. But to this feeling of, like, wanting this sympathy to say I did this well because of that or it was this and, you know. And mm-hmm. she loosely takes responsibility for things here and there throughout the book. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was a read. It was a read. I don't know. It was a real read. <laughs> you know, I, I I think from being on this podcast and people listening to us, we talk a lot about, you know, feminist theories and topics and things of that nature. And a lot of them are geared towards, like, you know, the male gaze, patriarchal society, the dominant culture. But what about when oppression happens within groups? Within that same marginalized group. Yeah. So internalized oppression is what... I think I want to focus on coming from, you know, mm-hmm. drawing off of the From, book. of course, yeah. To draw from that to where we are now, why is the respectability of a woman tied to her sexuality? Mm-hmm. Why? Why is one woman worth more as a virgin yeah. than as someone who has had 10 partners? Yeah. And why do not only men look down on it, but women as well look down on it? Some women who look down on it already had 20 partners too, you know? So is it internalized sexism? I believe so. You know, well, first, can you describe what internalized sexism is? So internalized sexism is the practice of a lot of the same misogynistic ideologies that, you know, we have in society kind of reflected on us from men when we internalize them and then practice them within each other so it can it can come out in ways of for instance being competitive with women or invalidation of other of other women and or even yourself you know Mm -hmm. um viewing women as objects a lot of times you'll you'll hear women talk about each other and validate each other through the way that that they look well, yeah, you know, she's a nice girl, but she's not that cute. Yes. Well, why does that matter if mm-hmm. she's a nice girl? You know, internalized sexism is just when we take what's happening to us and we internalize it and then do it to one another. Further to that, I was reading an, an essay and it's one of my it's really, really, really good essay. And it's a study. It's a research essay. And it follows about 
a few different women and ha- just follows their conversations. Mm-hmm. And they tell these women to sit in a room and just have a conversation with your friend. And when you're reading the conversation initially, you're like, oh, it's, it's a pretty normal conversation. But then as you're reading the article and you're understanding the different forms of sexism that women practice between one another, mm-hmm. and then you go back and then you read these conversations, you're like, wow, that is, that is interesting how we'll talk about one another. An example could be something as simple as, yeah, you know, Cass, like I went to the mall today and what's her face was there. Would like, be considered internalized sexism? Right, because a lot of times, it's not that you don't know her name. Sometimes you do know her name. You're Sometimes putting her down. Don't. Right, it's a way of, in speech, bringing her to a level that's under you. Mm-hmm. And women do that, do that a lot. Oh yeah, she was with her boyfriend, Chris, and whatever her face is. <laughs> We know his name. We'll say, you know who she is. Right. Don't get me wrong. Like, there there are times where you can kind of say, okay, well, sometimes you do forget. I'm, I'm not saying that. But for this, yeah. for this, the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to be explicit and just, you know, give some of these examples. And let's just be aware of them. Right. You know? Because I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have thought that that was internalized sexism. I would have thought that's me, I could, that's condescending. Because I think... I think it's also like a human feeling when you, let's say you see your ex with a, with a new girlfriend and the breakup is still fresh in your heart and you haven't, you haven't fully healed. So you automatically be like that, whatever. Yeah. Your face is like, whatever. Right. <laughs> but you hear it on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even on another form of internalized sexism. And, and the distinction I want to make is internalized sexism isn't only how women treat each other. It's how we even treat ourselves. Right. How we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. Another example is, uh, me and you were speaking about this, a lot of times women will say things like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What well, you do know. But it's claiming this ignorance so that you can make yourself smaller in whatever setting and not come across as combative. And you, you want to make sure that the people around you feel comfortable right. with what you're sharing. Yeah. So I can It's almost on. like apologizing for... 100%. Your knowledge. 100%. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to say is that internalized sexism, internalized oppression, it happens on a scale that can be from zero to 10 the most obvious. But for some reason, the impact that it has on us is heavy, mm-hmm. whether or not we're aware of it. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly experiencing sexism through the way you think about yourself. Right. The way you think about others, the way others think about you. And they're not always obvious. But your subconscious is yeah. picking up these things on a day-to-day basis. And it's literally shaping who you are as a woman. Do you have, like, examples of that, of that, like, in the article that you read? Yeah, it talks about how before puberty, a lot of times, little girls aren't really too much aware of how they look. Right. You'll run outside, you'll do whatever, you'll play in the dirt. It's, it's not this and this and that. But around the time you start hitting puberty, you start realizing that a lot of your power comes from the way that you look. Mm. A lot of your acceptance comes from the way that you look. So now, what do I got to wear in order to fit in? Even with the other girls. Not just to be desirable, you know what I mean? But to the other girls, is that cool? Like, how should I do my hair? And what's beautiful? There's this this huge, around uh, puberty and adolescence, there's this huge emphasis on now, how do I look? And that becomes the forefront of who who you are. Who you become as a woman. Who you become as a woman, you know? So 
we're, that we're was, more conscious about our looks, our weight than, sure. than men are. And it's not to say that men are not conscious of it. It's just that the propaganda is geared towards us yeah. 90% of the time. And, and then it trickles down to men, in 100. my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. Another thing the article talks about, which um, I thought was, was really good to go over, was it says... A key feature of sexism, as with oppression against any group, is that there is an institutionalized power differential between the oppressor group, men in the case of sexism, and the oppressed group, women in this case. Oppression is popularly described in a formula. So in order for something to be oppression, it has to be combined with prejudice and power. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's very important, guys. So for something to be oppressive, it has, there has to be prejudice there. But there also has to be power there as well, okay? Through oversimplified, though oversimplified, this formula corrects the often mistaken belief that prejudice by itself is oppressive, giving rise to misinformed notions such as reverse racism or reverse sexism. Mm. Boom. Don't you love it? I do. While individual women... You're right. Yes. That's why I always say black people can't be racist because yes. we don't have that power. Yes. We may have the yes. prejudice, but we don't have that power. Exactly. And it goes, it goes more to say while individual women as a whole may enact, you know, prejudice bias towards specific men, for instance, or towards men as a group. This is done without the backing of a societal system or an institution of power. Right. So men will never feel the impacts of your quote-unquote sexism because you don't have the power. Don't I like that. Right? I like that. I read that. I was like, yes, this is what I've been trying. This is what I, I understand. Mm -hmm. But to hear it is like, to even see it in that formula. So yes, it is true. Black people, women, um, any marginalized community, immigrants, LGBT, they can all be prejudiced towards dominant culture but it can, it cannot be oppressive it's not an it, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a power or societal backing to it oppression is prejudice plus power prejudice plus power so marginalized groups and a lot of a lot of even white people fall into marginalized groups if you're an immigrant you yeah. know you fall into a marginalized group so i don't want people to think that it, we're just talking about white people always in separate no 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 yeah. i'm talking about any marginalized group that's not a rich white man you know what i mean yes. so to speak yeah you don't have you don't have power and it's so funny because with reverse racism people really take that expression and run with it <laughs> they really do and i'm really like i i talked to someone who said yes yes black people can be racist no they can be prejudiced and, and a lot of black people are prejudiced <laughs> and you, yes that's the thing <laughs> it's true and i said that to him like yes that's true but how, how is black people being racist affecting your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. Except in relationship, I think it will affect you. But like in terms of oppression. It's not oppression. It's prejudice. It's, it's rude. It's annoying. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's all those other things. But it's, it's not oppressive. It's not going to change how society views you or the access that you have to certain resources. It's yeah. not going to change any of that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But in that note where you said... Oh, I want to... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I want to re-say that because I don't want to say it doesn't matter. Okay. As in prejudice doesn't matter. That's not what I mean. I mean, it's not, a, it's not oppressive. So I just want to mm -hmm. correct myself because I don't want people to be like, oh, prejudice doesn't matter. It matters and it's wrong. 
Uh, we all have prejudice and we need to be aware of that. But when I said it doesn't matter, I meant in the framework of it being able to change systems to affect the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in following that idea of reverse feminism, is that what it, when women hate men? Reverse sexism. Reverse, reverse sexism. Mm-hmm. I was reading an article. That article came out when um, the whole thing with Roy Moore, you know, the election in Alabama, yes. I believe. And he was accused of sexually assaulting a teenager or a, or a minor. And um, he didn't win because black women showed up and it was all over the news <laughs> and it was like... But this article came out around that time and it was talking about why women why white women were supporting Roy Moore, why 53% of white women voted for Trump. And aligned with the whole prejudice and power brings oppression. They said in, the, in this article, it says, white women ally themselves with white men for what they believe is their own gain, security, and assurance, while not realizing the harm caused by the internalized misogyny that fuels their cognitive dissonance and consequential support of men who abuse women. Uh-huh. It kind of talks about the feminist movement uh-huh. and how it all came about and, you know, the, the origins. The origins of the movement are not as pure as some feminists want to project it to uh-huh. be. And that's where the intersectional feminist movement came about. Oh, the womanist. Yeah. yeah, because of that, because the first wave or... I think it's still ongoing. A lot of feminists are truly white women who just want the equal power that white men have. Do you think in that sense, that can be oppressive as well? White women wanting to align themselves with white men? I think women in general want to align themselves with men in their groups. Not align, want the same power that white men have and what they will do in order to get that. In that sense, this group who's originally marginalized becomes the oppressor as well. Well, it is it is oppressive because, uh, and this is something that it comes in many different forms. And first wave versus third wave where we get a lot of more black activists, um, there's a huge difference between the two. So the reason why I agree and I do think that it is oppressive is because what you're fighting for can have reverse effects on my well-being. Yeah. And birth control is a great example for that. You know, a lot of white women, they wanted autonomy over their bodies, which women should have autonomy over their body. So they wanted birth control. And that's a beautiful thing to fight for, the the need to want birth control. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what that led to was testing in the Caribbean of black women, testing mm-hmm. drugs on black women, you know, going in and, and doing all sorts of things to black women's bodies that I wouldn't even say over, you know, over this podcast, leaving black women dead, leaving them Mm -hmm. unable, barren, unable to have children. And when the right formula came about, let's bring this back to the United States and give this to white women, you know? So yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. It can be oppressive and harmful. Yeah. We were the, we were the, the test dummies for birth control. And, and mind you that we're not talking too long ago. This isn't, this isn't yeah, too long no, ago. Birth, birth, when did that birth come control. out? You know what I mean? I mean, this article came out last year. Exactly. And it's unfortunate because I feel like it just throws so much shadows over the mission of what feminists want. Because you have this group doing it on one side for their own gain. And then mm-hmm. you have the other, the other group that's suffering on different levels mm-hmm. for different things. But they don't... They're, if, if I'm aligning myself with them, it's going to take more time or I'm not going to get the things that I want right now. I'm not going to gain as much as I could. So 
whatever forgets you. You know what I mean? So that's what we're already in a bad place and creating that division. Yeah. I think it throws a lot of stain over the over the movement for sure. But we do have a lot of, um, you know, when first wave feminists, first second wave feminists was coming out, it was tied heavily to the abolitionist movement yeah. and the freeing of, you know, black black slaves. And it went further into even the right for black black people to vote. And a lot of white women were behind that movement. Yeah. Now things got a little bit muddy when black men got the right to vote first. <laughs> they, they got mine. Really like um, but, you know, it, it was tied to other minority groups. Mm -hmm. I just think third wave did was a lot of black feminists started to come out and I think their movement was more linked to race than it was to femininity. Okay. Because, you know, a lot of the fight and a lot of the the cause was, was to protect black men too. Right. So it wasn't just aligning ourselves with black to, it wasn't to necessarily align ourselves with black men because we felt like black men had an advantage. It was because we didn't think and we're seeing that black men were actually at a bad disadvantage right. that we decided to step in and be vocal and, you know, make make movements. And you have some of, the, you know, your Angela Davis and you have these huge historical black feminist figures coming in for more civil rights. It was right. more about civil rights. And that's a part of feminism as well because mm -hmm. you're dealing with um, rooting for and fighting for a marginalized community. Yeah. And then you, you have more waves that come where you have people that are fighting for LGBT rights. And there's a lot of feminists in those movements, right? And that's not attached to necessarily race. That's not attached to... Um, oh, you mean like trans rights? Right. All sorts of rights. Well, you know, in the 90s and the 80s when people were coming out of the closet, that wasn't really something that you did. But is it so, tied to the feminist movement? I think a lot of I think a lot of feminists I think feminism to me it you align yourself with what causes are important to you. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of feminists and like for instance I what I did in school was women and gender studies. Right. It's literally tied together if you really think about it. Right. So the feminist movement and the LGBTQ um, movement and the civil rights movement all these things are kind of linked in a way especially when you look at a framework in like an academic institution yeah based off of the fact that these are all marginalized right. women are marginalized um, minorities are marginalized and um you know homosexuality trans all that kind of stuff is marginalized yeah. altogether. Mm -hmm. so feminist movement from the framework that i've been taught or the way that i see it is just a spokesperson for marginalized communities Right mm -hmm. now, depending on what your agenda is, depends on where your feminist efforts are going to focus on. It's not about men. It's not about race. It's about their sex and gender. For, for a lot of black women, it's not really so much aligning myself with another white woman as it is aligning myself with a black man in terms of making sure he's protected and I'm getting him his rights as well. In the, and I'm protecting the black family. And then a lot of white women, it's a matter of job security. I want women being able to get the same pay as men. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a lot of variation of feminism. So in that same frame of mind of feminism and the article that you, you're referring to, because mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure all women, even those that do identify as feminists, have been guilty of some sort of internalized sexism. And like you said earlier, it's something that's so embedded in us. Sometimes 100%. we do it and we don't even realize it. Yep. Do you have some tips as to what we can do to become more self-aware 
And like I, when you mentioned the I don't know thing, I thought it was yeah. so <laughs> interesting and almost powerful in a way. We often start our phrases with, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, when you have that in mind and the other examples that you've given are there, what could we do to, to be more aware of the internalized sexism that we may have inside of us and we're not even, not even conscious of it? Yeah, I think the first step would be for us to admit that this is real. Mm-hmm. You know, in reading some of the, the different conversations that the women were having in this, I found myself at times saying, oh, they're just they're, they're nitpicking. Like, that's a normal thing to say. That's not, and I didn't, and I'm not realizing, or at that time, I wasn't realizing you're, I'm thinking that I'm having a free thought, but it's not really a free, a free thought. Right. I've been programmed to think that way. I've been programmed to think that, oh, this article is over-exaggerating. Okay. Because why? Why, why does it have to be over-exaggerating? Why does it have to be dramatic? Look at even the words I would associate to a woman. Mm. Oh, that's crazy. How often right. do you hear that? She's crazy. She's dramatic. She's over-emotional. Right. And I had to really like, and when I would find myself reading this and I would find myself being critical, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So I would say the first step is to read about internalized sexism. You know, where is that coming from? You're literally taught to think the way that you think. So sometimes to think independently is to go against the grain. And not the way that, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're taught to behave. Yeah. I was reading also, like, if you're uncomfortable with a woman's sexuality, that could be one way to look to, mm-hmm. to start as well. Like another tip. Why are you uncomfortable with a woman's yeah. sexuality? Speaking of which, to feed off of that, how do you feel about the slut walk? I wrote that in my note. Did you? <laughs> well, let me get my paper out. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I put Ember Rose Slut Walk and I put Black China's Rice to oh, Why? Oh. Are you are you practicing internalized sexism no, right now? I'm Julie? practicing who owns Slut Walk and is not Amber Rose's Slut Walk. Well, Amber Rose has always been very vocal <laughs> about the fact that she did not start the Slut Walk, but she made it big. That's what she says. Those are her words, not mine. Okay. But I, I know what you're I know yeah. where you're going for it. I'll let you explain it. I think what happens when I hear Amber Rose's slut she does host one, so that would be Amber Rose's slow walk. But I think where my frustration comes from is in and it could be a catch twenty two in a good way because of her celebrity, she's brought a lot of yeah. awareness to the slut walk. So that's there's a hooray for that. But then at the same time too, it's almost like the 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 real reason for the cause and how it came about kind of gets diluted when it's attached to someone with such a big presence and name in in, mm. in the media. Okay. So I don't know how many people have the true background of what the slut walk is other than what Amber Rose portrays her slut walk to be and what it is about. Okay. So that's more of my frustration with the with the tagline Amber Rose slut walk, mm-hmm. but in all fairness, she does she does host one, so in that sense, it would be her her slut walk. But um, the origins of the slut walk, very briefly, for those of you who don't know, um, it pretty much came about when a police officer said to a group of young girls, was it one girl? I think a group of based young girls. Based in Toronto. Based in Toronto, here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And pretty much told them that, you know, the way you dress is connected to sexual harassment. If you didn't dress like a slut, you know, you wouldn't be sexually harassed, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it sparked this this big movement and, you know, of women 
in in Toronto marching against the ideology that women have to be in control of a man's sexuality. Why do I have to be responsible for you not putting your hands on me? I should be able to wear whatever I want. I should be able to do whatever it is I want to do. Consent is consent at the end of the day. A no is a no and a yes is a yes. And that's all it comes down to. So the origins of it are beautiful. And, um, and I love that. I yeah. love that. It's funny because in one of my notes, I put, we teach young girls from a young age to keep their legs closed. But funnily enough, we don't teach boys to respect their bodies as much. Mm-hmm. And from birth, girls are responsible for mm-hmm. our bodies and what happens to it. Yeah. So when something happens, it's her fault. Yeah. And she wasn't responsible yeah. enough. Yep. That's one, 100%. You need to be less desirable around men. Because we have this in our minds that they can't control themselves. How weak are you? Yeah. And that's one thing I always thought so interesting. It's like, oh, so there's also this, you know, energy of I'm the man and I want to be the head of the household and I'm the strong one, I'm the forefront. But something like your sexuality, I have to control that though. Why? It's too big of a responsibility to give anyone. <laughs> control your urges. Yeah. And we blame, we blame the victim a lot. Yeah, all of It's easy. You know, and that's why I think tell-alls, like the one from Rose McGowan, like she wrote a book called Brave, but even um, the testimony from Dr. Ford, however controversial it may have been, whether you believe her or not, it's important for these women to tell their stories. Yeah. Because even, even as they're telling their stories, there are people saying, 100%. you know, she wanted it. Why was she there at that time? Mm-hmm. Why, why was she at that party by herself? Yeah. Why is she, why was she in that hotel room with a film producer by herself? Why is she in the hotel? Why is she meeting him in a hotel room? Yeah. Why is she telling her stories 20 years yeah. later? You're just deflecting from the issue she, here. And I say that all the time. Like when I hear that, I, I always look at people after their tirade of exactly those questions. And I say, you know, the rape is the bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. The rape is, is what's bad. Like, yeah. like regardless of what's surrounding it that's that's the bad thing yeah. now the victim is the men it's the weirdest thing who portrayed that crime he's now the victim and she's she's the predator here <laughs> like because she's it, it makes no sense but it's a mentality yeah. that is hard to to change yeah it's really 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 and i understand why because i think religion plays a huge factor in this especially when we ask earlier why is women's res- respectability lied to her sexuality? Because for years and years and years, we said virgins are so pure. And uh-huh. a lot of religions still maintain that, that belief. And, you know, if you have, if you've dated, if your count of men is two digits yeah. or something like that, yeah. you're a whole, or, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, you know. While on the other side... The more praised, the more uh-huh. men sleep with women, the more praised they are, and the more they're the man. He's the stud. I want to be like him when I grow up, you know. And yeah. it's we're still perpetrating this mentality, and I don't know, I don't know how to stop it. Is it yeah. the more slut walks? Is it more tell-alls books? Is it more conversations? Does it start in school? Is this an education that must be implanted from elementary school? And in, in homes. When we have, like, I just feel like a lot of times in society when we have sons, the sexual topics and awareness just become something that 
we don't really feel like we have to discuss. We always have to tell girls, like you said, about their bodies. and yeah. But we don't really do that very often for boys. So that's why I think it should be taught in school because yeah. a lot of times parents don't do it. They don't do it. A lot of times parents have that internalized misogyny uh, mentality. 100%. Oh, how many girlfriends do you have at school? Yeah. Oh, I got two. I got three. Oh, you need more. Yeah. And then you turn to the girl. I hope you're not talking to any boy, right? Yeah. You know, you're my baby. I don't want you to have any boyfriend. They're the same age. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> they go to the same school, you you're know? So right. And those are family members. And it's not harmful. We see it as a joke. But it's, it's reiterating. And you're teaching that child from a young age that it's 100%. okay to have two, three, four girlfriends. You're nurturing, you're nurturing something in their mind. You're nurturing stereotypes. You're nurturing prejudice against, you know, a woman. Yeah. And, and it comes from women too. Yeah. It comes from women too. Yeah. And, and I, and I know that to be true because, you know, even growing up in a Caribbean household and having friends of various different backgrounds. And I'm talking about friends from background, like European, um, Asian, South Asian, the the son could have a girl come over and be in the room but a girl child you can't do that i couldn't do it yeah like one of my friends she's so funny she's italian and she was actually telling me how you know she's in her 30s now and her mom's like why why what's where's the babies and whatever she's like maybe you should let me have a guy in my room instead of my <laughs> our brother my brother who had every girl in his room and now look how many grandkids you have like you wow. know what i mean like and and I, what I love about even this conversation is that this spans over so many different cultures, so many different races. Yeah. It's literally just the idea that woman, you need to protect yourself against men. And I don't know how a lot of people feel about the term rape culture, mm -hmm. but it's real. Yeah. It's real. Mm -hmm. Rape culture is real. Yeah. So when you got artists saying pop a <laughs> pill in her drink and take her home with you. That's rape culture. That's rape culture. The fact that he plays on the radio and you're you're mouthing these words, um, you're just you think it's okay. Do you know how many guys really go to the club with drugs? One hundred percent. In their pockets, just to put it in in the in the girls' drinks. And it's funny you say that because I think when people hear rape culture, it's such a vile term. So you have to think about it on a very extreme, you know, basis. And it's really not. It's really not. Rape culture just means. The things that we do in society on a day-to-day -day basis that encourage sexual activity with women against consent yeah. or, or putting her down, you know? So, yeah. yeah. It's real. And, it's real. And, and I think what's sad and why it needs to change is because women and men contribute yeah. to different scales yeah. to that mentality, to that really unfortunate culture. You know, even in the article that I read, um, it said the internalized misogyny is palpable in the Washington Post Shar School poll. So that's the poll where they took out this study for, for, in which women affirm they are more comfortable disavowing and discrediting women than they are disavowing men accused of sexual based violence. And that touches on a part in the article, actually, um, what you're saying. So I, I love it, where there, I believe that a part of the reason why that happens is because comp people compare themselves with others in their in-groups. So you're more readily to compare yourself with people and trying to find a privilege between you and someone within your in-group. So I feel like for a lot of those women, it's easier because she's in my in-group. She's a woman in my in-group. So it's, this is a way for me to exert a privilege over her because I mm. cannot exert that over him because he's not in my in-group. He's in 
a powerful position right. or he's in a position that's outside of where I can I can reach him. So my only my only other reaction to have is to within my group I can attack you because I can reach you. Yeah. And then I can then put myself on a pedestal and put you down. Yeah. So yeah, you are more likely to resent and compete with those who are only slightly advantaged relative to us, sufficiently similar to warrant social comparisons. So yeah. I, I love that you brought that up because even right here in this article about internalized sexism. So, so in terms yeah. of tips to how to change that narrative, that, that side narrative, it's like mm. it's self-awareness. Yeah. Know that it exists. You guys, like, uh, I know we, we read a lot of different types of literature on here, but I really want to encourage you guys, outside of the books we read, uh, academic journals are great. Research papers are, are great. I find myself glued to them. And they're, and they're short. A lot of them are about 38, maybe 40 pages or something like that. It's an afternoon while you're on break at work. Yeah. Uh, you can read something and it's so, it's packed with so much information. Those are actually some of my, my more favorite things to read, more than I think even novels. Mm. is academic journals and things like that that have research studies yeah because it's like short but it's so much information, information. jam-packed in there mm -hmm. so this one is called the fabric of internalized sexism by steve Barron, neil korobov and avril thorne it's, it's really good it's from 2009 journal of Integ integrated social science so tips to get better tips to change this narrative one read <laughs> full circle with miss red i love you know, that read girl it. that was a good that was good that was full circle read and become and two be more self-aware yes. three ask, ask yourself the hard questions yeah. face your truth that's the only way you will be able to change it i four? agree <laughs> four call your friends out when, when it happens yes when it happens when it happens yeah and share more with us if you have more tips. We're we're learning yeah. just as as well throughout all these these stories, and we're learning just as much. And if you have more tips, or if you are an expert, maybe yeah. you work in that field to spread more awareness. Yes, reach yes. out to us, send us comments so that we can share with with all of you. And Let I us think know, yeah. I think people are scared sometimes to admit that they don't know or they don't know the right way to do things. That's why it. People don't speak their minds anymore. Yeah. And I think it doesn't help the conversation. It's fine to say you don't know and that you want to learn more. More. Yeah. And we're saying, obviously, read more. That's what we're doing and get informed. But I'm sure there are other ways, you know. Not everybody likes to read. That's just that's a fact. That's true. You know, so I like 300 pages novels. You like journals. Yeah. But you, you can still find a tool to get more knowledge. 100%. And so that we can change the perception things and we can change this whole conversation and and just make the world a better place 100%. and the, and i'll we'll leave it at this the fifth thing that you can do is share this podcast share this episode with everybody you know and have a conversation about it okay that's, that's another thing you can that's do right. subscribe <laughs> and share it <laughs> subscribe guys we'll see you next time bye